Hello, my friends. You're listening to Repent and Believe podcast with Cynthia Smalls of Back to God Ministries. Welcome, my friends. Here we talk and teach the message of Jesus Christ, the only one who can claim the title of Savior of the world. We also discuss all things repentance and belief in Jesus Christ and how all these things tie into living a lifestyle where our deeds are manifested and fast and God so that we may be molded by the Father into vessels to be used for His glory. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get started. Hey everyone, before we get started, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in. And if you enjoy my podcast, please share download, leave me a message or comment. Thanks guys. Hello everyone. This is Cynthia Smalls with Back to God Ministries. How's everyone doing today? I pray that all is well in your lives, that you are walking by faith and not by sight. You beloved are to never give up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all, listen. I got my paper notes today, so let me apologize in advance for all of the paper ruffling you are going to hear today because today it is back to the soul's snatching campaign. Amen. Listen, this mission, if you would join me, is to rescue the unrepentant, Christ-rejecting sinner by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Amen. Listen, Jude one twenty three tells us to snatch sticks from the fire by preaching to them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The commission to do this is given by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the gospels. We see in Luke 24, 46 to 48, he said, so it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance necessary for forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Amen. Beloved, we are to go out into the world to preach. Preach what? God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, but canceling them. Scripture says that God has, in fact, shown us a way to be made right with him. Because we know 
Christ Jesus tells us that he is the way. It tells us that God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe by faith that Christ Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Amen. Study 2 Corinthians 5.19 and Romans 3 verses 20 to 31. Listen, the call is for all men everywhere to repent. Why? For there is eternal punishment waiting for those who reject and obey not the gospel. That is why, beloved, we must snatch as many sticks from the fire. Amen. God and the Lord Jesus Christ call everyone to repent. We find the righteous justice of God's wrath in these scriptures I'm about to give you all today. Because whether or not right, Holy Spirit, whether or not you know it or not, We are supposed to be workers, laborers in Christ's harvest, going out into this wicked world, whether it be in a pulpit, a street corner, on your job, at school, in your house, at the grocery store. We are to preach this wonderful good news. That sinners have the most wonderful thing that can happen to them. The good news is that we were all sinners, enemies of God. But because of who God is, He is love, He is mercy, He is compassionate, He is kind and loving kindness. And all of his divine attribute. He demonstrated love toward humanity. By sending us a savior. God was in fact reconciling this world back to himself. In the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ became a sin offering on behalf of mankind 
because God's justice demands payment for sin. We know that to be true because of Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if a sinner places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, And what he has done for us at the cross, taking on our penalty, paying the price for our wrongdoing by laying down his life. Well, through his atoning sacrifice, his shed blood, we can have our sins forgiven. When When Jesus' blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat of God in heaven, he made atonement for our sins, reconciling us back to the Father. That's the good news, that if we place our faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we will not be facing God's holy wrath any longer. That's good news that we were once sinners on our way to a burning hell as we await final judgment. But God, in the person of Jesus Christ, came to this earth to be born to a virgin woman, to to have lived, died, and rose again on the third day. And through Christ and in Christ, we can have right standing with the Father, whereby we are no longer enemies of God. We now have his Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of us. Now that we have been justified, we are now being sanctified. And what does that mean? That means that since we have been snatched from the world, the Holy Spirit sits us down and trains us how to be holy, how to be righteous, how to live godly lives, even though we are in still these fleshly bodies that have the propensity to sin some more. Holy Spirit teaches us how to be separated from this world, consecrated unto God, set apart now for God's purposes and his plans and his will. God's amazing grace teaches us how to reject all ungodliness. We don't want the world anymore. We don't want to be part of that evil, wicked system no longer. That's the good news, that we were sinners on our way straight to a burning hell, but now we have right standing with God because of what Jesus Christ did for us.
Amen. And that's the best news. Anyone who was ever born to a woman in sin can ever hear. Amen. And so on this soul's snatching campaign, this is what we are supposed to be doing. Yes, we got family, we got jobs, but this right here is the main job. Every born again, blood bought, spirit filled follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our main job. We are supposed to be helping and serving our commander in chief in the army of the Lord by doing what? Snatching souls from hell's fire and not to mention coming against religious rhetoric. Yeah, because you carry this good gospel and you you preach what Jesus preached because he will always be the pattern for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We preach what he preached. He preached the kingdom of God and he preached repentance. He told us in Luke, if you do not repent, you too shall all likewise perish. So, we see that in Luke chapter 13. So, let us just get the whole framework, right? The Holy Spirit one day sat me down and gave me this framework, which is actually a blueprint, if you will, right? Giving us the reason, some scriptures, and what's going to happen if a person does not come to Christ Jesus, if they obey not the gospel. And how do you obey the gospel? Well, you obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by responding to it. You respond in the affirmative with the gospel. In other words, you say, yes, Lord, I receive you as Lord and Savior. Teach me, train me how to be holy. I don't want this wicked world anymore. I don't want my life unto death. I'm here in complete surrender. I submit myself to you. I bend the knee. Teach me. Tell me where to go. That's how you submit and obey the gospel. All that we just laid out, what he did for us at the cross, how we are now in right standing with the Father. Because some people reject all of that. When they hear this good news, preach to them. They say, no. They say, I don't want religion. And I say, well, neither do we. We want a right relationship with God, whereby no longer we are enemies, but we have this wonderful, affectionate, 
intimate personal relationship with the one who created us. We ain't looking for religion. We ain't looking for traditions of men, commandments of men, whom they take their teachings and package it in such a way that it becomes doctrine. False doctrine, but to them, doctrine nonetheless. And so, we see Romans 6.23 that the price we pay for sin is eternal separation from God. The second death, people. We talking about the lake of fire. And so, because of that, the call from God, the call from heaven is to repent. The call from Jesus Christ is to repent or perish. So, scripture tells us, Acts 17, 30 to 31, Therefore, God overlooked and disregarded the former ages of ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Beloved, you got to understand what was going on. In times past, we all know from the Old Testament, right, that God has had an covenant, a covenant with Israel. Israel knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The rest of the world, the nations or Gentiles or heathens or pagans did not know this God. They knew other false gods and they worshiped them wholeheartedly. So much to the point that when Paul was invited to come and speak over here in Acts 17, he was, he was going about the town. Listen, Paul was in Athens, right? If we come over here real quick, just to get the backstory, Acts 17, verse 16. It says, now Paul, Paul was waiting for them at Athens. Them who? Well, Silas, who else was with him? And Timothy. Mm -hmm. Because they were in another city. And so those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens. And after receiving instructions from Paul, for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible, they left. So, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was greatly angered when he saw that the city was full of idols. So, he had discussions in the synagogue with the Jews and the, and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace day after day with any who who happened to be there. And so it goes on to say how 
these, it says, and some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to engage in conversation with him. And some said, what could this idle babbler with his eclectic scrap heap learning have in mind to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him over there to, um, it's called Areopagus, hill of Ares, the Greek god of war, saying, may we know what this strange new teaching is which you are proclaiming. You see, beloved, this goes to this goes to show us that Gentiles did not have this covenant with God like Israel had. And so this scripture among the many debunks the fact that we were never given the Old Testament. Those 613 laws of Moses to keep because we see Gentiles of which this is us. They didn't, they had no clue as to what Paul was preaching about. They knew nothing about Jesus. They knew nothing of, of the God he was talking about. They knew nothing of resurrection. This was foreign to these people. So they were to say the least, they called him some idle babbler because of all of their puffed up worldly knowledge, Paul wasn't making any sense to them, but they suffered him. They, they wanted to at least give him about two seconds to explain to us because we are so intellectual. We want to know what you talking about. They wanted to know what this, what this strange new teaching he was proclaiming. Because in verse 20 of Acts 17, they were saying, For you are bringing some startling and strange things to our ears. So we want to know what they mean. Now all the Athenians and the and the foreigners visiting there used to spend their leisure time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So here we go. The sermon on Mars Hill. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the center of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I observe with every turn I make throughout the city that you are very religious and devout in all respects. Now, as I was going along and carefully looking at your objects of worship, I came to an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you already worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who created the world and everything in it, 
since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything because it is he who gives to all people life and breath and all things. Amen. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands and territories. This was so that we would seek God, if perhaps they might grasp for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. That is, in him we actually have our being, as even some of your poets have said. For we also are his children. So then, being God's children, we should, we should not think that the divine nature, deity, is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination or skill of man. Verse 30. You see, beloved, I had to give you all of that backstory because verse 30 tells us because these, these Greeks and the rest of the nations, they, in, in ignorance, because they didn't know God, so in their ignorance, they were worshiping false gods. So here we are at verse 30. Paul is saying, therefore, God overlooked and disregarded the former ages of ignorance. What ignorance? The fact that they didn't know him. And so he winked at that ignorance. But now, here we go. But now he commands all people everywhere. That means Jew and Gentiles. Everywhere to repent. That is to change their old way of thinking. To regret their past sins. And to, and to seek God's purpose for their lives. Why? Because... He has set a day when he will judge the inhabited world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and destined for that task. And he has provided credible proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. Amen. So, beloved, we see Paul everywhere he went preaching the good news. So, how did these Greeks respond to that wonderful good news that we must repent because a day of judgment is coming? Yes, we know you all, they, they, were, they were worshiping everything but the true and living God because they didn't know him. But now, Paul has made 
God known to them. So what was their response to that good news? Verse 32 of Acts 17. Now, when they heard the term <laughs> a resurrection from the dead, some mocked and sneered. But others said, we will, we will hear from you again about this matter. So Paul left them. But some men joined him and believed. Among them, and then he went on to name some names. But we have to understand, right? These, these people, these were among the leading philosophies of the day. These were Greek philosophers, right? Neither believed in a personal God. They thought there were they were many gods. And these Epicureans, they were confirmed atheists. So their goal was to get as much out of life as possible. Yeah. And so some little some little fun facts for you all. Also known as Mars Hill, named for Mars, the Roman god of war. It was the place where the ancient ancient Greek Areopagus council convened and had varying powers in the course of its history. In Roman times, it was where the the supreme government of Athens met. Mm-hmm. And so, while the philosophers had little or no regard for the old mythological gods of the Greeks, the temples to various deities remained and worship practices continued, at least as a formal a formal tradition. The altar to the unknown seems to have been constructed for the purpose of acknowledging any God who had been overlooked. So, so Paul seized upon it as an opportunity to introduce the Greeks to Christ. Amen. And so they were lending their ear for about two seconds because Paul quoted from one of their worldly uh, poets. And so they indulged him for a few more minutes until he mentioned resurrection. And then after that, they were like, no, 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 no. Hold up. Wait a minute. Don't nobody come back from the dead. And therefore, some mocked and sneered at the good news. Now, gratefully, some believed. But they wanted Paul to keep coming back because this this is what they did day in and day out. They had... They had so much money. These people were uh, rich. And so they spent their leisure time going over new, new philosophies, new ideas and teachings. And so with that backstory, we see now why God in times past winked at man's ignorance. But now 
He calls all people everywhere to repent. And then we have Luke 13, verses 1 through 5, because this is why the call to repent is going out. Jesus, what was going on over here in Luke chapter 13? Well, starting at verse 1. Just at that time, some people came who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate, the governor, had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus replied to them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they have suffered in this way? Verse 3, I tell you no. But unless you repent, change your old way of thinking, turn from your sinful ways and live changed lives, you will all likewise perish. Or do you assume that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed were worse sinners than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you no, verse 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent, change your old way of thinking, turn from your sinful ways and live changed lives, you will, you will all likewise perish. Amen. And so why should we repent? Because we will all die one day and then be judged. Hebrews 9, 27 to 28. And just as it is appointed for all men once to die and after that the certain judgment. Amen. And then we have verse 28, right? To to keep this all in context, because this was talking about Jesus. And so the writers of Hebrews were saying, well, just like it is appointed one time for all men to die, and then after that comes the judgment, well, even so, it is that Christ, having been offered to take upon himself and bear as a burden the sins of many once and once for all will appear a second time not to carry any burden of sin nor to deal with sin because we know he already dealt with that right but when he comes again he's coming to bring to full salvation those who are eagerly, constantly, and patiently waiting for and expecting Him. Amen. So, let's talk about this judgment. What judgment, you may ask? Well, listen, I'm taking us through this exercise, okay? This is all about the gospel, and and this is what we preach and teach when we are laying out the facts for anyone who 
is on the way straight to a burning hell. So, like I said, by the grace of God, the the Holy Spirit gave me this, this framework, if you will. Laying out the bad news before we get to the good news, right? So, what judgment? Well, John 5, 22 to 29... The Lord Jesus was saying, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment, that is the prerogative of judging, to the Son, placing it entirely into his hands, so that all will give honor, reverence, homage to the Son, just as they give honor to the Father. In fact, The one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who has sent him. Verse 24, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, the person who hears my word, the one who heeds my message and believes and trusts in him who sent me has, possesses now, eternal life that is eternal life actually begins the believer is transformed and does not come into judgment and condemnation but has passed over from death unto life so we know beloved there will be two resurrections and then we have verse 25 of john 5 Jesus went on to say, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, a time is coming and is here now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. For just as the Father has life in himself and is self-existent, even so he has given to the Son to have life in himself and be self-existent. And he has given him authority to execute judgment. Why? Because he is a son of man, sinless humanity, qualifying him to sit in judgment over mankind. Amen. Verse 28. Do not be surprised at this for a time is coming when all those who are in the tombs will will hear his voice and they will come out. Those who did good things will come out to a resurrection of new life. But those who did evil things will come out to a resurrection of judgment. That is to be sentenced. Amen. What sentence, you may ask? The great white throne. That sentence. Listen. There will be no need for a trial. You forfeit it. Your pardon back there in John 3, 18. Because we're going to see about that later. You will go straight to final sentencing. So, 
Let's see what's taking place on Judgment Day. Okay. Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. John, one of Christ's disciples and apostles. Well, John was exiled. He was banished to this remote, rocky island called Patmos. There, the Lord Jesus Christ showed him this open vision about what was to take place in the future, right? In one of the visions, we find John over here in Revelation 20 looking at this great white throne. Starting at verse 11, John said, Then I saw a great white throne and the one who was seated upon it from whose presence. Okay. The the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This eternal separation from God is called the second death. Verse 15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Amen. So, who will be the judge on judgment day? Well, we know that to be Jesus Christ. So, here's the proof that God has appointed Jesus as judge on judgment day by raising him from the dead. Acts 10, 38-42 tells us, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead, and he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to 
testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Amen. So, scripture is telling us that our judge on judgment day will be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then we have Romans 2.16. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Amen. So, as I turn the page here, that is why Jesus said to repent or perish. Listen, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy holy name, calls for us to turn from our wicked and unrighteous ways and turn to him. We must repent for the forgiveness of our sins. Amen. Beloved, tell the people, salvation comes through repentance. Christ Jesus sacrificed his life on our behalf so that we would not be condemned, found guilty by holy God and face his wrath. Because like we just read in Revelation 20, final sentencing will be at the great white throne judgment. The Lord Jesus Christ has been appointed judge by God. For all authority has been given unto him. He is Lord of all. And we will stand before him on judgment day for the deeds we have done in the body, be it good or bad. Amen. Second Corinthians 5, 10 through 11 tells us, For we believers will be called to account and must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be repaid for what has been done in the body, whether good or bad. That is, each will be held responsible for his actions, purposes, goals, motives, the, the use or misuse of his time, opportunities and avail and and abilities. Mhm. Yeah. So although we are in Christ, we are not supposed to be sitting like bumps on a log, people. Mhm. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord and understand the importance of obedience and worship, we persuade people to be reconciled to him. But we are plainly known to God. He knows everything about us. And I hope that we are plainly known also in your consciences, your God-given discernment. Amen. And then we have 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 
to 15. Because, beloved, listen, as born-again believers in Christ Jesus who have endured until the end, whether we go by the way of the grave or we are that generation that see Christ returns to judge the inhabited world in righteousness, well, when we stand before Jesus, prayfully, let us all pray for each other that we stand before the Bema seat and not the great white throne. Because the great white throne judgment is for all unbelievers, all sinners, all those who refuse to repent, all those who rejected Jesus Christ and obeyed not the gospel. They did not receive it at all. They will stand before Jesus only to be told their names were not found written in the Lamb's book of life and they will be thrown into the lake that blazes with fire and brimstone. But we will we will stand before his judgment seat to receive rewards for for what we have done as born again believers. So first Corinthians three verses ten to fifteen because although we have been saved, right? What we have done while in this body will be judged as well. So, starting at verse 10, right? 1 Corinthians 3. According to the remarkable grace of God, which was given to me to prepare me for my task like a skillful master builder, I laid a foundation and now another is building on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. But if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will be will be clearly shown for what it is. For the day of judgment will disclose it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality and character and worth of each person's work. Verse 14, if any person's work which he has built on this foundation, that is, any outcome of his effort remains and survives and survives this test, he will receive a reward. But, uh-oh, see? But if any person's work is burned up, by the test. And what is the test? Well, this test will be the quality and the character and the worth of every person's work. 
So all that we do will be tried by this test of fire. What was the quality of what you was doing for Christ? What was your your character characteristic motives behind what you was doing? And the the weight of the worth of how you did it, when you did it, why you did it. Listen, all of that is going to be tried by fire to see if it will stand up to this test. Okay? So we have verse 15. But if any person's work is burned up by the test, he will suffer the loss of his reward. Yeah, we can lose rewards, folks. Yet he himself will be saved, but only as one who has barely escaped through fire. Amen. Paul is saying you will lose your rewards, but you yourself will be saved. But guess what? It will be by the skins of your teeth. Mm-hmm. So, what happens when a person says, but I'm a good person? Well, God says that no one is good, not even one. Because when you bring the reality of the situation, the the severity of man's of mankind's future, the first thing they will say is that, well, I'm a good person. Surely I'm going to go to heaven. I didn't do everything right, but I'm a good person. Well, point them to Romans 3, starting at verse 10 to 18. As it is written and forever remains written, there is none righteous, none that meets God's standard, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become useless. There is, Paul can't say it enough. There is none who does good. No, not one. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They habitually deceive with their tongues. The venom of asp is beneath their lips, their their mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and they have not known the path of peace. Verse 18, because this is the heart of the whole situation. There is no fear of God and his awesome power before their eyes. Amen. And guess what? We were all here. But in Christ, we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So, the good news, okay? This is the good news. 
We can come to Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. Verse 2, God promised this good news long ago. Mm-hmm. He sure did, because this good news was actually first given to Israel. Because we all know the backstory with Israel, right? They did not follow nor faithfully adhered and obeyed the laws of God. Okay. Even Moses prophesied to them that in the future they were going to fail. They were not going to keep this covenant. In fact, they were going to break covenant and they did. But he was saying that even though that happened and they were going to be punished for that, but a time is coming. And he went on to say, and he went on to say that how they and their descendants in the future, way, 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 way in the future, right? That God was going to forgive them of their sins, that, that he was actually going to change that heart of stone they had into a heart of flesh where now they will love him with their whole hearts, their whole minds, and their whole souls, right? And so we see over here in Romans 1, verses 1 through 5, verse 2, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news the good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King's, King David's family line. And he was shown to be the son of God. When he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Through Christ. God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles, that be us folks, everywhere that God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. Amen. And then if we come down to verses 16 to 17, Paul was saying, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Amen. Got some more good news for you sinners. John three sixteen. you all know 
John 3, 16. So I'm going to read it to, to the beginning of verse 18. Because the end of verse 18 starts the bad news. So the good news, God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only begotten son so that whoever believes and trusts in him as savior shall not perish but have eternal life for god did not send the son into the world to judge and condemn the world that is to initiate the final judgment because beloved we know it's coming when he comes again this time around he did not come to initiate the final judgment of the world but that the world might be saved through him verse 18 whoever believes and has decided to trust in him as personal Savior and Lord is not judged. For this one, there is no judgment, no rejection, no condemnation. And then we have a semicolon. Here we go. The bad news. John three eighteen b to 21. But the one who does not believe and has decided to reject him as personal Savior and Lord is judged already. That one has been convicted and sentenced. Why? Because he has not believed and trusted in the name of the one and only begotten Son of God, the one who is truly unique, the only one of his kind, the one who alone can save him. Amen. That's the problem. That's why people are going to hell, because sins can be forgiven, right? When a sinner places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But what happens, excuse me, what happens when they say no to that? Okay. We know Christ Jesus is the only begotten son of God. The only one of his kind. What does that mean? That means only Jesus Christ was born to a virgin woman who has never had sex before but had a baby. How is that even possible? Well, Scripture tells us Christ Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. That's how he was conceived. So that's what makes his birth one of a kind, unique. The only begotten son of God. This is the only man who lived in the flesh that was born from a virgin woman. Now, some of our mothers started off as being virgins, but eventually they had sex and then they had us. 
Not so in Jesus' case. So, verse 19. This is the judgment. That is the cause for indictment. The test by which people are judged. The basis for the sentence. The light, capital L, has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Jesus is telling us people love sin and the darkness more than they love him. They hate Jesus. They rather have the darkness rather than him, the light. So, hmm. People loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For every wrongdoer hates the light and does not come to the light but shrinks from it for fear that his sinful worthless activities will be exposed and condemned amen and this is why people hate jesus verse 21 but whoever practices truth and does what is right morally ethically, spiritually comes to the light so that his works, as I turn the page, may be plainly shown to be what they are, accomplished in God, divinely prompted, done with God's help in dependence on him. Amen. So, if you reject God's only begotten son, then there are eternal consequences. You face God's holy and just wrath. Give them John 3.36 that says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abided on him. Amen. Listen, give them Romans 1 verses 18 to 32 because Paul lays out why people act like they don't believe God exists when God has shown to them in nature alone, who he is. So what happens is that people suppress that truth. They bury it because they rather have their filth more. And then, and then he goes on to list what those filths are and that if they don't repent and if they don't stop sinning, well, God is going to turn them over to a reprobate depraved mind God is going to give you what you want you want all that nastiness and filth and and homosexuality and you just the filth okay the filth well he's going to turn you over and Paul goes on to list what that life looks like so let us let me see where 
I want to, okay. Verse 29 of Romans 1, right? Because again, give them verses 18 to 32. But let's go to verse 29. Just so that we can tell them if they, if they are not already living like this. To tell them what your life will look like when you rather have your filth and your smut and your lust more than repentance, salvation, and redemption. Well, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, Malicious behavior and gossip. Mm -hmm. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. Can't forget boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. Verse 31, they refuse. Okay. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet, they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Mm-hmm. And if they don't repent, because we got to keep hammering, okay? We got, listen, don't let up. We love God's creation. And we don't want to see anybody go to hell. That's why don't back down. Don't water down this gospel. Give it to them straight with no chaser, beloved. Tell them about 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 to 10. Because at the tail end of verse 7, it's talking about when Christ, when Christ returns. Because he's coming with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Bringing judgment on those who don't know God. And on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction. Forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. Verse 10. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people. Praise from from all who believe, and this includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. Amen. Listen, Proverbs 29, 1. He that being often reproved, harden his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Uh-huh. Romans 13. Listen. All this will happen to the one who remains stiff neck. They are obstinate. No matter how you try to get this into their thinking, they are still saying no, 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 no. Okay, well, Romans 13, 11 to 14. 
do this knowing that this is a critical time. It is already the hour for you to be awakened from your sleep of spiritual complacency. For our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed in Christ. The night, this present evil age is almost gone and the day of Christ's return is almost here. So let us fling away the works of darkness and put on the full armor of light. Let us conduct ourselves properly and honorably as in the light of day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and irresponsibility, not in quarreling and jealousy, but clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no and make no provision for, nor even think about gratifying the flesh in regard to its improper desires. Amen. Let them know of this, beloved. There is no such place as purgatory. There will be no reincarnation. We only get but one life. Just like Christ died once and once for all for the sins of the world. Well, guess what? One time, once we get to live and then after that, the judgment. Amen. And let them know also, in Christ, we are not to love this world any longer. Mm-mm. Give them 1 John two fifteen to 17. Let them know that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that's all from Satan and this world. These things do not come from God. Not at all. Tell them how this world is passing away. And with it, it's lust. The shameful pursuits and ungodly longings. But the one who does the will of God. Who does the will of God and carries out his purposes lives forever. Amen. Listen. I, I had to take that pause because my eyes jumped down to those sins that will keep us out of heaven. Okay. So in closing, because again, although I'm giving us now, you don't have to stick to this verbatim. This is just to give us some idea where to go, how to approach this whole preaching of the gospel, right? Give them the good news. Tell them about the bad news. Then give them the good news again and keep giving them more good news, peppering it with some more bad news that if we keep staying in these certain sins, we're not going to get in, okay? So again, this is not a formula, please. This is not a doctrine, okay? This is just fellowshipping, right? So some sin, no, 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 sins that will keep us out of heaven because all sin 
will keep us out of heaven. Because again, the price we pay for sin is death. That is why we must turn from our wickedness, turn from riotous living, turn from sexual immorality, turn from worldly lusts and passions, turn from rebellion against God, and turn to the only one that can save us, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Because, beloved, right? Isn't it true that we are now free to be holy in Christ? So we don't have to go back to the jail of sin. We have been set free to live clean, holy, godly, and righteous lives. Mm -hmm. Christ Jesus has set us free. Give them all of Romans chapter 6, beloved. So, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And whatever you do, beloved, please bring them over to John 8, 11, so that they too can see the pattern. That once we have been forgiven, we go, comma, and sin no more. We don't, <laughs> we do not take God's grace as a license to sin. You know what? Wouldn't it be great, right, that when every born-again believer, no, no, when every sinner gets born again, that they are directed to one of us so that before the wolf and the false brethren get a hold of them, we can tell them we are not supposed to be sinning after this. It may be some instances where we may miss the mark, but under no certain term, under no uncertain terms, do we go back to living the way we were before coming to Christ. So, let them know about John eight eleven, but especially. Verse 12, because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, because we know John 8, 11, right? The woman who was caught in the bed of adultery, the Lord didn't condemn her. He told her, go, comma, comma. And sin no more. And then we run into verse 8. I mean into verse 12. When Christ was saying how he is the light of the world. And all who follows him will not walk in darkness. But will have the light of life. So the implication and expectation. That if we are following Christ. Then we will not walk in darkness. We cannot be in violation of the scripture and expect for all to be well in our lives. Amen. That's why we must tell people to stop sinning. For if they do not repent, they will go straight to a burning hell as they await final judgment over here at the great white throne judgment. So... When we meet Jesus, sin no longer holds 
is fatal attraction. So, what, what, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because grace changes things. Paul said, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Amen. That's Romans 6, 1 through 2. When we are born again, right, according to John 3, 3, the power of the Holy Spirit breaks the power that sin once had over us. Study Romans 6, 6. Once we lived only to please ourselves, but but when we have been forgiven, our motivation changes. Now, we live to please God. Study Galatians 2.20. Amen. So, sins that will keep us out of heaven, write these down, beloved, so you can give it to the people. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Revelation 21, verse 8. Mark 7, 20 to 23. Romans 2, verses 2 to 3. 1 Timothy 1, 9 to 10. Ephesians 5, 3 to 7. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 9. James 4, 8. Romans 6, verses 11 to 13, 2 Timothy 3, verses 2 to 5, Galatians 5, 17 to 21. Listen, I, the list goes on and on, right? At the end of the day, we are calling men to repentance, letting them know they must be born again in order to enter God's kingdom. Otherwise, they are looking at God's judgment. Salvation is only found in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Judgment. We will stand in judgment if we reject Jesus. If we, if we say no to the gospel, we, we don't receive it. We want no parts of it. Then we are on our own. Mm-hmm. No savior, no mediator, no comforter, no standby. You and I will be on our own standing before Jesus trying to make sense of the fact that we were too ignorant and too stubborn and too foolish to reject this good news. Mm-mm. Tell the people two destinations heaven or hell tell them give them the good news the bad news the good news good news good news and reinforce the bad news amen amen father in the name of christ jesus thank you that we have the gospel thank you that we can go to your word and see what it is to receive christ jesus as lord and savior it it is always a good day when one sinner repents. The angels in heaven rejoice. So, Father, I ask for me 
and my brothers and sisters to remain faithful. Teach us how to fish for men. Teach us how to go out here and preach this great good news that you have made a way for sinners to be made right with you. Teach us, give us strategies, Father. Not all of us have pulpits, but everyone has a street corner. Everyone, well, for the most part, have jobs. We all have, we all have homes. It's somebody we can preach this gospel to, whether we do it verbally or through signs or maybe have online um, ministries through social media. Give us creative ways, Father, to get this gospel out because time is running out. Time is of the essence. Jesus Christ is on his way back soon. He will arise and the dead will hear his voice and come out of the tombs to be reunited with their spirits in heaven and these bodies that were sown into the into the dirt will be glorified resurrected what what would that look like father to have a body that will no longer perish that will no longer grow old that will no longer die we look forward to our redemption. Bless your holy name, Father. We give you thanks. We give you reverence. We lift up your holy name. Thank you for sending us the Lord Jesus Christ, who willingly laid down his perfect, sinless life on our behalf. Can't say it enough just how grateful we truly are. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, folks. Come on. Let's give the Lord praise. Let's give him thanks. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for showing us the way. You are the way. There is no other way to get to the Father but through Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And Lord willing. Until next time, repent and believe. Stop sinning. Be not deceived. Bad company will always corrupt your good morals. 1 Corinthians 15, 33-34 teaches us, Arise to righteousness. Come to your senses, beloved, as you ought to. And stop sinning and turn back to God. Amen. Amen. Lord willing, until next time, I shall be speaking to you all soon. Bye for now. Thank you guys for tuning in. I truly appreciate all your support. Until next time, I'll be talking to y'all soon. Bye.